Hello, it's July 27th, 2022. My name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and are having a great start to your week. And today's episode is sort of going to be like last week's episode because it's going to be a little shorter than others because there wasn't much info I could find about this subject but I tried my best because this case really made me curious. And with that, let's dive in to today's case. The year was 1997 and in Neptune Township, New Jersey. This place was named after the Greek god Neptune, and he represented fresh water and the sea. This title was aptly given to Neptune Township because it's surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean and many different other bodies of water that many people like to hang around and do fun things. The famous Jersey Shore is right next door to Neptune Township, where many people like to have lots of fun and party the night away. But it's also known that many young people in Neptune Township have a more serious approach to life and set their sights on having a career sooner rather than later. One young resident back then was doing just that. She was a native of the area, and even though she had spent some time partying and socializing, she also knew she wanted to make a difference. However, in 1997, this resident came across some people who weren't part of her best interest. And for the rest of that year and beyond, her family would be panicked. In the following case, you'll find out who this resident was, the incident that involved her, and the investigation in a case I title, Dark Paths. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, lived a couple named Robert and Mary Leak. The couple were raising four children, Teresa, Robin, Veronica, and Ryan, and eventually the couple moved the family to Pine Hill, New Jersey, where they stayed to raise the family. 
Robin Leake was born June 27, 1968. And after the family moved to Pine Hill, she and her siblings seemed to have happy and healthy childhoods. Robin was described as a girl who was a tomboy growing up, and she loved sports. But baseball was her favorite. Robin was a dark-haired beauty growing up, and was outgoing and had lots of friends. According to reports, Robin was also very close to her family. But starting in the 1980s, things began to take tragic turns. In 1980, when she was 12, Robin's father, who she was alleged to be pretty close to, passed away from cancer at the young age of 39. And in 1985, a tragic event shook the city back in Philadelphia that hit close to home for Robin and the Leake family. On May 13, 1985, the infamous MOVE organization, a political group who advocated against many issues such as animal cruelty, racism, and other issues, lived in a row house in West Philadelphia. However, many of the members' neighbors did not like them living there because they were very loud, frequently used bullhorns to spread their messages, their home was allegedly surrounded by trash, and the Philadelphia police were always called to reprimand them. One of these members was Robin's half-sister, Teresa, who went by the name Teresa Brooks Africa. Robin and Teresa's mother, Mary, begged for Teresa to leave the home and organization because they were always getting into trouble and didn't want her daughter hurt. However, by May 13th, police removed the neighbors of MOVE and staged a forced removal of the members. And according to reports, after ordering the members several times to leave the home, that day, police had an armed standoff with the members. Mary and other family members of MOVE begged their loved ones to surrender. But after they didn't, nearly 500 officers surrounded the home, and some of them threw tear gas at the home. It was said that in response to the tear gas, some members of MOVE fired at police with guns. Police fired back and used more than 10,000 rounds of ammunition, and after the gun exchange didn't stop, the police commissioner ordered the MOVE compound to be bombed. Shortly after the order, a police helicopter dropped two one-and-a-half-pound bombs, lighting the row home on fire. Six adults and five children in the MOVE compound died in the incident, including Teresa. Robin and her family were devastated by Teresa's death, and according to reports, she and Mary became closer after the incident. Meanwhile, while attending high school, Robin still utilized some of her best skills by doing what she loved, playing sports. She loved baseball so much that she played for the high school team, and she was so good at it, Robin eventually played for the all-star team. But not only did she play baseball, for a change of scenery, she became a cheerleader, where she enjoyed cheering for the football games. Eventually, Robin graduated high school around 1986, and she set her sights on attending college and becoming a nurse. But of course, to obtain a higher education, 
most people must pay to earn their degree. So Robin got a job as a waitress at a casino in Atlantic City to pay for her education. But according to reports, Robin's education temporarily stopped when by the time she turned 19 while working in Atlantic City, she met a man by the name of Robert Trevisano. Robin and Robert took a liking to each other, and shortly after meeting, they began to date. After dating for around a year and a half, Robin and Robert married aboard the Spirit of Philadelphia cruise ship on June 19, 1988. Robin was thrilled. Shortly after they married, Robin and Robert moved into a home in an Atlantic City suburb. And at first, the couple seemed like they were on cloud nine, especially after the arrival of their sons. Brendan was born first, and two years later, he was joined by twin brothers, Michael and Nicholas. Robin was so happy to be a mom to her boys and would do anything for them, almost like any other mother. But for reasons publicly unknown, the couple ran into financial hardships. And apparently due to this, by 1993, Robin and Robert separated and eventually divorced by 1994. But there were apparently no hard feelings. Although she was now out of a marriage that had financial struggles, as a 26-year-old single mother, Robin barely fared better. Although Robert was ordered to pay a little over $100 in child support, neither one had high-paying jobs. Therefore, Robin unfortunately continued struggling to make ends meet. But she refused to borrow money from her mother or friends, and she refused to apply for welfare. Robin even apparently refused her mother's proposition when she offered Robin and her boys a place to stay. But again... Robin was determined to be self-sufficient and make ends meet on her own. As luck would have it, shortly after her divorce, one of her friends told her about a job opportunity where she could make easy money and it would help pay the bills and possibly help her go back to school. And that was to be a go-go dancer at the local club called Heartbreakers. Robin wasn't so sure about this job, but she eventually went to audition and was hired. Robin wasn't proud of her new job, but when she told her mother that she only had a little over $18 in her pocket and that she knew the women working there made quite a bit of money, she made up her mind and began to dance. Mary tried to get Robin other options for work, but Robin wanted to make the fast cash. Like mentioned previously, Robin wasn't too fond of the job and she went through hurdles to conceal what she was doing for money. According to reports, Robin's job was 80 miles away from her home, and when she went to work, she made sure to go by a different name, Tony. And she made sure only her friend and her mother knew what she was doing, and swore them to secrecy. Not only was she slightly embarrassed by her go-go job, she wanted to keep her new job away from her children. According to reports, because Robin didn't like her job too much, she'd have some drinks to get through her shifts. But like mentioned before, Robin was doing what she expected, and that was making fast cash. This meant she was no longer too stressed about finances. Therefore, 
she was able to support her boys better. She was doing so well at Heartbreakers that she was two years down the line when around 1996, Robin allegedly met a well-dressed man who came in the club. She introduced herself to him, and according to reports, the two hit it off. Robin and the man eventually became closer, and she found out he was a relatively successful attorney. However, even though Robin hit it off with the man, once he got deeper into the relationship, he told her something crucial. He was married. However, Robin continued to see the man while dancing. But even though the man met Robin at Heartbreakers, he eventually told her he didn't like her dancing anymore. Robin told him that she needed the money, was making good money, and she was going to continue because she wanted to go back to school while keeping stability for her family. The man told her that he was pretty much successful enough to take care of her tuition and her family. After hearing his bargain, after two years of working at Heartbreakers, Robin quit. She was pretty excited about the dream the man sold her. But when she told her mom about him, Mary was less than thrilled. Not only was Mary bothered Robin's mate was married, she was also concerned that Robin thought he would eventually leave his wife for her, which Mary was certain he wouldn't do, and told Robin there would be more girlfriends like her during and after their relationship. But Mary's advice fell on deaf ears, and Robin continued to see the married lawyer. And to keep up his promises, the lawyer apparently paid for Robin's tuition in 1996, and she enrolled in the nursing program at Atlantic Cape Community College. Robin was happy that now at the age of 28, she was finally back in school, and her part-time man was supporting her. But at the same time, things began to get a little weird for her. According to reports, because the lawyer was paying for her, she was under the impression that he was going to leave his wife sooner rather than later. But like her mother told her, the lawyer didn't budge and remained married. Months went by and Robin's mother noticed something else. Robin was drinking more. When Mary questioned her about it, Robin told her she was a little overwhelmed with life, but she made an effort to not let her stress show in front of her children. But meanwhile, even though she may have had a progressive drinking problem, she still did well in school, and she was determined to get her nursing degree. Because that was her dream, and she knew that with the nursing career, she'd definitely be self-sufficient. Therefore, even though she was more than likely bothered her lawyer lover wasn't fully committed to her, she sucked it up because he was paying her bills until she became a nurse. And what about Robert and all of this? Well, he and Robin continued to co-parent successfully, and by late 1996, they had a working schedule for when each parent would get the boys, which usually meant Robin would have them during the week and Robert during the weekend.
By January 1997, the weekend before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Robert still had his sons on that Sunday, January 19th, because the kids were out of school. That night, Robin decided to drive to meet her lover. However, according to reports, they apparently had an argument, so Robin decided to visit Heartbreakers to let off some steam. Because she was a familiar face at the club, none of her former co-workers really interacted with Robin. But according to one report, she had a few drinks that night and wanted to keep the party going. Some of her friends had come by the club by this point, but she apparently couldn't find a ride to another club because some of her friends were either too tired or intoxicated. According to reports, a man who was not apparently known as a regular in the club came to Heartbreakers that night. He was well-dressed, had long hair, and was average height. Robin apparently struck up a conversation with the man, and then the next time a former co-worker of hers paid attention, Robin had left. But what was strange was that when Heartbreakers closed up for the evening, her former co-workers noticed Robin's Jeep was still parked in the parking lot. They thought it was odd, but since she had been drinking, they thought she may have gotten a ride home. Meanwhile, Tuesday, January 21st came around, and Robert was ready to drop off the children. After he dropped them off, the children saw something odd. Their mother wasn't there. According to reports, that was a very rare occurrence. Robin was always at home to make sure her children got there safely. Therefore, Robin's sons contacted their grandmother. When Mary arrived, she noticed nothing was out of place. It looked as if Robin simply walked away. Her textbooks were open, so were some notebooks. There was nothing looking as if she struggled. It was neat. Mary apparently called a bunch of people trying to see if they saw Robin, including the staff at Heartbreakers, but she didn't get anywhere really, and all the staff at Heartbreakers mentioned to her was that her Jeep was still there since Sunday night. Getting nowhere, Mary called police, and within hours, they launched an investigation into Robin's disappearance. They determined that Heartbreakers was the last place Robin was seen publicly. Therefore, they too questioned the staff. Staff members who worked that Sunday told police they didn't know where she went, but some were able to give the description of the man who she talked to that night, adding that he was Caucasian, had light eyes, long brown hair, and he was wearing a suit. The man also had pretty white teeth, and was tan, as if he had just gotten back from a vacation. But even though police had a description of the man who Robin was apparently last seen talking to, they didn't have enough on who this man was, or if he even may have anything to do with Robin's disappearance. The police were apparently so frustrated by not getting anywhere, they assumed that maybe Robin ran off. But her loved ones quickly disagreed. She would never leave her family. During the investigation, police searched the woods near Heartbreakers, 
but came up with nothing leading to Robin. Also, because they learned from some witnesses that they heard Robin mention she wanted to go to another club called Delilah's Den, police searched around that property as well. But again, apparently came up with nothing then. They talked to Robert about what he was doing that Sunday night, but he had a solid alibi and according to reports, seemed legitimately concerned about Robin's disappearance. Therefore, he was ruled out as a suspect. Robin was still out there somewhere, but police were pretty much at a dead end, and her case began to grow cold. Robin's family continued to be optimistic about finding Robin, but as months went by, their hopes began to fade, and they began to think about the worst scenario. In June 1997, though, Robin's case was still being examined. And curiously, even though they didn't find anything at first, police heard again from witnesses that they heard Robin mention she wanted a ride to Delilah's Den. Acting on instinct, detectives decided to take a look around Delilah's Den again. And shockingly, they found some unique items. They found a jacket and a purse behind a fence at Delilah's Den. And inside the purse was $500. And pretty soon after their discovery, it was determined the belongings were those of Robin's. Detectives questioned staff who apparently worked that Sunday night, but they said they didn't recall seeing Robin there leading detectives back into a dead end. By this point, her family came to terms that Robin was possibly in grave condition and made the tough choice to close her home, and Robert took in the children fully. Birthdays, holidays, and other family events went by with no Robin in sight. And unfortunately, fast-forwarding to the early 2000s, Robin Trevisano was officially declared dead. To this day, no one knows what happened to Robin, if she's indeed dead or alive, and her family and friends still have lots of unanswered questions. The story of the disappearance of Robin Trevisano comes from the sources of the Asbury Park Press, The Charlie Project, The Philadelphia Inquirer, and others I'll put in the notes. Okay, I'm going to go through a quick opinion piece um, where I am recording right now. Um, it's a lot of traffic, I guess it's rush hour. Uh, so I don't want to get a lot of outside noise in, but I'll say a few things that um, I think about this case. Uh, number one, I want to clarify that Robin was a go-go dancer, not a stripper. Um, I know a lot of you know the difference, but some of you don't. Uh, Go-go's don't have money thrown at them. They don't. They don't get naked. Um, they don't bend over anything like that. They are uh, go-go dancers. They did just to dance. 
to the music not to be too sexual not none of that <laughs> they're go-go dancers just in case just to clarify that robin was a go-go dancer not stripper um number two one thing i found really interesting was according to reports robin's family and police know who robin's lover was but they have not named him publicly and i don't know why um, but i'll get to another uh get to that in a second uh, more of that in a second um also police apparently didn't swab robin's abandoned jeep for dna like apparently like they didn't so that's a curious thing to me um i wonder if they swabbed or have swabbed that jeep for dna would it come back to something um Apparently, according to some reports, they also didn't swipe anything or take any DNA or try to take any DNA from her belongings found behind Delilah's den. Uh, I don't even know if they still have custody of her items or her Jeep. Is it impounded? I don't know. Um, DNA, however, as you all know, has gotten more advanced since 1997. Therefore, I believe if Robin's things are still held somewhere, DNA could be swabbed and maybe give some answers, um, which leads me to her belongings. Why didn't police see her belongings earlier? Uh, let me break, guys. Um, sorry for the traffic in the background. Um, <laughs> so sorry. I uh, just hope you can bypass that. But getting back to what I said, um, why didn't they see her belongings earlier by defense? Um, cause apparently they were there all along. Apparently, I don't know. Maybe it was dark. They didn't see it, but they do have flashlights and I'm not blaming police or anything on anything. I'm just curious. Why didn't they see her belongings earlier? Um, were her things put there? Did someone take her, um, and maybe planted her, um, things to at Delilah's den, knowing that she had mentioned going there earlier in the night and just to throw off police and like months later, uh, plant her things. Who got her things? We don't know. Um, okay. Also, sorry, I lost the train of thought. Uh, did Robin actually make it to Delilah's den? I know the staff said they had no recollection of seeing her that night, um, but it could have been a possibility. Apparently that night, that Sunday night, it was really, really busy on the Jersey Shore. And um, they could have, they may have seen Robin and forgot. I don't know. Um, but one, one thing to me regarding her married lover, that's what tripped me out most of the time. Now, I know the man was probably... Well, apparently, according to reports, a successful attorney, um, he had some money. But why can't anyone say his name? What, are they afraid to get sued? Is he like a prominent member of the community? And um, they know better than to say his name publicly. I've seen in some cases that their wealthy people have been involved in some crimes and they pay off people to hush and just pay off families or victims and they just hush about things. I don't know if that happens. I'm not saying that did happen. I don't know. No one knows what's going on, really. Um, but it's just a possibility because it has happened like that. Um, same with the same with the guy Robin was allegedly seeing that night at Heartbreakers, that random guy no one had really seen before. He was dressed really nicely. He was tanned like he had gone out of town on a vacation, had nice pretty teeth looked well dressed uh was he a wealthy man did they know who he was like police or anything or investigators uh did he possibly pay someone off too it it happens I, I don't know it's just a theory going out there like i'm not blaming anybody not blaming the police it's just a theory i'm just curious about it um one other thing that i read about on the blogs which is kind of interesting there's a theory that maybe robin was a victim 
um, of the Long Island serial killer. Um, if you don't know his uh, about that story, you can look it up. Uh, the Long Island serial killer was pretty much prominent during the mid 90s, which was around the time Robin disappeared to like around the uh, estimation of 2010s. Um, so it could be a possibility. Long Island is not too far from New Jersey, of course. So it could be a possibility. Um, we don't know. Um, lastly, Robin's mother, Mary, according to a report I read, thinks at um, thinks that like last time I checked that Robin's death slash disappearance is some sort of cover up. Like she sort of has the same idea I have is someone wealthy who may have been involved with her disappearance and they paid someone off to hush. Um, she has a lot of questions, which I understand because that's her daughter. Uh, we won't know. We don't know um, what's going on with Robin's disappearance. And everyone has their theories. Some people think that Robin, uh, well, a lot of people think Robin deserves better and that some really shady stuff has gone on besides just her disappearing uh once again i'm sorry for the noise in the background i'm not really good at editing so um i hope that it doesn't bother you too much guys but with that um that's it thank you for tuning in to another episode of 90s crime time and i hope you are intrigued if you liked what you heard on today's show and have not done so yet please rate 90s crime time on any platform that has a rating system primarily apple or spotify or you can let me know what you think on 90s Crime Time social media, uh, such as Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And with that, stay safe and healthy, have a great weekend, and I'll see you soon for a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time.